Well, good morning. My name is Randy Madison. I'm subbing in again for our lead pastor, Adrian Boykin, this morning. Good to have him back uh, here next week, I believe, and uh, it's a privilege to be able to pinch hit for him today. I want to welcome you, especially if you're a guest with us this morning. Maybe this is your first time here at the Evangelical Free Church in Kearney. As you came in the doors this morning, you may have seen over those doors the, the phrase, every person matters. That's our heart. We hope that as you're here today, if this is your first time with us, or maybe your second or third, that you feel like you, this is a place where you can really matter. We want to be instruments of God's love to this community because we believe that every person matters to God here in Kearney, in Nebraska, and around the world. And as proof of that, we've got a slide of a team that we have on the ground in Columbia today. It's coming up on the screen for you right now. I believe you've got a pretty picture of them someplace. There it is. And uh, be praying for this team. Uh, Pastor Brian... Brian Klein, many of you know him, uh, is preaching to them today as we're having our worship service here. So please be in prayer for every individual on this team in Columbia as they share uh, the Lord's love with uh, every person that matters in that country uh, today. And if you're a guest with us this morning, or maybe you're, you're a long-time attender, but you haven't been here for a while because there's a lot of in and out, I get it, with the summer, you go on vacation, you need to know that we are on a journey through the Bible this year. Began way back in uh, January in the book of Genesis, it will end in the book of Revelation. We're going through all 66 books in 52 weeks, it's a flyover. We're looking at the panorama of God's Word uh, together. And today, we come to the last portion of the Old Testament before we transition to the New Testament next week. And we're calling this the post-exilic period. It's a period of time that took place between 538 B.C. and about 430 B.C., a little over 100 years. Now, why do we call it the post-exilic period? Because it's after the exile. It's after... Uh, Israel's uh, bondage in Babylon, their captivity there, and now they're returning to their homeland. And there are several books in the Bible that give this story to us. We have the books of Ezra, Nehemiah, the book of Esther, which Pastor Adrian preached from last week. And then we have the books of Haggai and Zechariah. Now, those first three books are kind of near the the beginning of the Old Testament. They're right after the book of Second Chronicles. And then the last two books, Haggai and Zechariah, are at the end of the Old Testament, right before you get to the, uh, the, the New Testament. But each of these books tell the story of Israel's preservation, their return to their homeland, and then the rebuilding of the temple and of the walls around Jerusalem. We find this story in each of these books. And we're going to be in the book of Nehemiah this morning. We're going to narrow it down to one book, and we're going to narrow it down even further. We're going to narrow it down to chapter 8 of Nehemiah. 
So if you got your Bible with you, turn to Nehemiah chapter 8, or get it on your phone, however you get your scripture. And we're going to be in Nehemiah 8. Let's bow together in prayer. Father, now, as we come to look at your word again this morning, we recognize that this book that we study every Sunday is different than any other book that we can pick up on the shelves of Barnes & Noble or order off of Amazon.com. Lord, this book is life-changing. It's not just a book for information. It's a book that you gave for our transformation to change us from the inside out in our lives. And so today, as we look at this one chapter and this, this story about the return of your people to Jerusalem and the rebuilding of the temple and the walls, we ask, Lord, that you would just use what took place in Israel so many years ago. Use it today, Lord, in 2018, in our hearts and lives, because we're people just like they were people, and we need your help just like they needed your help. So we ask now that you'll speak to our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, as we prepare to look at this story this morning, I want to remind you that you are in Nebraska, and it's summertime. Now, what happens in Nebraska during the summer? Occasionally, you get a tornado, don't you? We've got some slides coming up on the screen right now. Notice these slides coming up here. I believe these are slides from Kearney in 2008, just about 10 years ago, May 29th. And some of you remember that tornado that hit just outside of, 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 just away from us on the east side of town, I believe. Now look at this next set of slides. This is Grand Island on June the 3rd, 1980. And some of you have been around long enough that you remember when these seven tornadoes hit Grand Island and the devastation that resulted, 357 homes, $300,000 worth of damage 49 businesses were taken down when these seven tornadoes hit Grand Island on that evening in 1980. Now, as the children of Israel or the Jewish people were turning to Jerusalem under Nehemiah, and he was the third wave, if you will, there were three waves of people, exiles, that came back to Jerusalem during this hundred-year period of time. Nehemiah was the third wave. As they were coming back to Jerusalem during this time, there must have been an exuberance for rebuilding. There certainly was in Grand Island after that tornado. In fact, I've got a quote from, I think it's Frank Bartz, who ran a floral business. He said, there was never a question of rebuilding. And that's kind of the way they felt as they came back to Jerusalem to rebuild. In fact, if you read Ezra chapter 1, there was an excitement about rebuilding the temple. Now, that ground of the a halt, and then it kind of got re-engaged and they rebuilt the thing. But even after that, for 70 years, the walls around Jerusalem were still in disarray. Looked a lot like these pictures, and that must have been what they found. And so that was the situation. And if you read Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 3, and it's coming up on the screen right now, you'll see this description of the wall of Jerusalem. 
And Nehemiah is saying in chapter 1, verse 3, as he gets news of the devastation, not of a tornado, but that the walls are still down. I mean, after 70 years and the temple's been rebuilt, the wall of Jerusalem is still broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. And we read that in chapter 1, verse 3, and then if you look at chapter 2, verse 17, you have the same description. You can read it here on the screen. He takes a survey of the city at night, and he goes out and he looks at it, and he says, you see the trouble we're in. Jerusalem lies in ruins, and its gates have been burned down with fire. Now, as you're sitting here today, and this is a great day to do some spiritual inventory. You may be looking at your own life and you're looking on the inside and you may feel like your soul is like the wall and the gates of Jerusalem. And nobody else really sees because we have a way, let's just be honest with ourselves, we have a way on Sunday, don't we, of presenting. I do it and I'm a pastor. We have a way of presenting. And stuff happens during the week, and nobody sees it. And then we come into this building on Sundays, and we put on our Sunday face, and we smile, and people ask how we're doing, and we got that pat answer, everything's going great. But inside, if people could really see, it's like the walls are down and the gates are burning. And so I want you to see here today as we get into Nehemiah is that it's like a spiritual roadmap for rebuilding our soul. Because you see, when they returned to Jerusalem, they didn't just rebuild the walls and the temple physically, but they came back to God spiritually. And so it was like a spiritual renewal or a revival. They, they reconnected with God in a way that they had not for a long time. And if you were going to outline the book of Nehemiah, you could outline it in a very simple way. The first seven chapters are about the physical rebuilding of the wall of Jerusalem after Nehemiah gets there and he does his inspection. Chapter 7 is the story of them repopulating the city after the walls have been rebuilt. And then chapters 8 through 13 are the story of their personal spiritual renewal. And that's where we're going to be today now in Nehemiah 8, the story of their spiritual renewal as they reconnect with God in a personal way. So before we look at the story, I want to just say three quick things. If you're here today and you can identify with anything that I've said to this point, And you'd like some renewal in your relationship with the Lord as you take inventory here at the end of the summer before school starts. You need to know, number one, you're going to have to face the facts. You've got to recognize reality. You've got to look at the rubble in your own life. That's just the way it is. And that's what Nehemiah does before he rebuilds this wall. He, he inspects it. He, he faces the facts, the reality of what the situation is. And before we can rebuild or renew in our relationship with the Lord, we have to be willing to acknowledge where we are 
And that's what they do in, in this book. The second thing you need to know is you cannot renew in your relationship with the Lord alone. The Christian life is a team sport. We need each other. And if you look at chapter 3 in the book of Nehemiah, it's very interesting. They rebuild this wall, and there are 41 different groups of people that are stationed along the gates and along the wall rebuilding this thing. 41 groups of people, 38 different names, people from all over, uh, all different walks of life. And that's a picture of the Christian life. We need each other in this journey. So you, you're going to have to rely on others. And the third thing I want to say this morning is expect opposition. You're going to have to resist opposition if you desire this kind of relationship with God that we're talking about today. Because the enemy does not want you to have this kind of relationship. He'll do everything to, he can to come against you. And in Nehemiah chapters 4 through, through 6, there's all kinds of external and internal opposition. Everything, they have the kitchen sink thrown at them because their enemies don't want them to be, rebuild this wall. But they get it rebuilt, and so here we are now in chapter 8, and notice the first mark of spiritual renewal if you're following along on your outline. The first mark of spiritual renewal is a renewed desire for the Word of God. And that's what we see in the people's lives as they gather around the water gate of this city and Ezra, the priest, begins to read the word of God to them. Look at verses 1 and 2 here in Nehemiah 8. The Bible says that all the people assembled as one man in the square before the water gate, which was the gate which led to the springs of uh, Gehon, the water source of Jerusalem. And they told Ezra the scribe, bring out the book of the law of Moses. You might want to underline that phrase if you're into underlining your Bible. They demand that he brings out the book of the law, which the Lord had commanded for Israel. So on the first day of the seventh month, which was the most sacred month of the, of the year in, um, in, in Israel, the seventh month, on the first day of the month, which and now they're gathered at the Watergate, not at Times Square in New York, but the first day of the month, they're gathered here, the most sacred month. Ezra brings out the book of the law before the assembly, and he begins to read it to the men and the women, and it says even to children, all of those who could understand. And as he reads the book of the law to them on this first day of the month, and the trumpets would sound on the first day of the month to remind them of the Lord... That was the custom in Israel. The trumpets have been sounding. We have this gripping picture of all of the people. And notice how it's described again in verse 1. They're gathered there as one man. They're unified. And so they're gathered there, and they're, they're asking for the book of the law to be brought out. And he begins to read it to them as they demand it. And notice what the Bible describes Notice how long they're there for six hours. For six hours, they're there listening to the Word of God being read and explained. The Word of God is foundational to the Christian life. Now, I'm a guy 
There are a lot of guys in the room here, a lot of ladies too. Guys, we're not into reading. Women, they're better readers than we are. But this is our spiritual food. And if you want to have continual renewal and a fresh personal relationship with God, then every one of us, whether we're a pastor or whatever your vocation is, we need to be in this book. This is what transforms us. And so they're listening to this book as it's being read. Humorous little story. There was a guy in India, and they were going through this great revival. And as he's going through this revival, a friend writes him, and he asks him what it's like, and he writes back, and he says, Oh, we're going through a great revival. Revival is foundational to revival or renewal in our lives spiritually. And so he's reading this, and they're there for a fourth of the day or six hours from daybreak to noontime. And notice in verse 3, the Nehemiah 8, it says that they listened attentively. Nobody was falling asleep during this sermon. And the next day, the leaders and the heads of the family, they come back for more. Verse 13, I mean, can you imagine Pastor Adrian now preaching a six-hour sermon? Now, he's not here today, so let's see a show of hands. How many of you would like it if Adrian preached a six-hour sermon? I see any hands. All right, feel the love. Feel the love, Adrian. You got some hands up in here today. You must really love him. (laughs) I wouldn't want to sit through a six-hour sermon. But they're listening to to the Word of God for six hours, and nobody's falling asleep during this thing. And then verse 13 says, the next day they come back for more. Can you imagine that? And so they're into the Word of God here. And it says in verse 18, if you look at the last verse in the chapter, that day after day, from the first day to the last, for seven days during the Feast of the Booze, which was the Feast of the Tabernacles, and that also took place in the seventh day of the month, they listened to and they studied the Word. Now, I'm not saying you've got to be a part of a seven-day Bible study. And I'm not saying that you've got to listen to a six-hour sermon today to have... The Word of God is a part of your life. But my question to you today is, what is your hunger level? How hungry are you for the Word of God? Because sick people don't have an appetite. Sick people don't desire food. And it's the same way in the spiritual realm. When we're we're not healthy spiritually, when we're not where God wants us to be spiritually... Then, then many times we lose our appetite for the Word of God. And so that's my question to you today. It doesn't have to be a six-hour sermon. Psalm 19, verse 7 says, the, Lord, uh, pardon me, the law of the Lord is perfect. This is the only perfect book which has ever been written. The law of the Lord is perfect. And then it goes on to say in verse 7 of Psalm 19, reviving, restoring renewing my soul. This book is like the reset dial. You go to this book, it helps you reset. It restores you. It brings you back. 
it returns you to where you should be in your relationship with God. And so this is the first mark of spiritual renewal. Now, notice the second mark. Look at verse 6. There's a renewed reverence for the person of God as the people hear the word of God. Verse 6 says, Ezra praised the Lord, the great God, and all the people lifted their hands. So there you have it. You can raise your hands in church. It's biblical. It's scriptural. They lifted their hands and they responded, Amen, Amen. And then they bowed down and they worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Have you ever done that in church? I haven't. I've gotten down in special meetings. I've, I've bowed down, but I don't know that I've ever had my face on the ground in a public setting. This word used here in this verse of Scripture for, that describes this is a word used 170 times in the Old Testament. 170 times, and it's usually used, it's interesting to me, to describe worship in the public arena when you're with a group of people, not in private. It describes public worship. And so here are people raising their hands and they're bowing down. Now, I'm not saying this morning that you have to bow down to worship, that you have to raise your hands to worship. I'm actually a very conservative person in my personality. I, 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 I look over and, and our lead pastor, Pastor Adrian, he's pretty expressive. He'll raise his hand. Now, I raise my hand sometimes too. You don't have to do that to worship. But I think the Old Testament teaches us that many times when we're really engaged and we're worshiping God, our body posture and our body expression is an extension of what's on the inside of us. And it's a way of expressing our adoration and our love for the Lord. And so that's what's going on in this situation. And if you look at the revivals in the Old Testament, if you read Second Chronicles chapter 6 and 7, under Solomon, he kneels down and all of the people fall down. If you read Second Chronicles chapter 20, the people fall down. They bow down with their faces on the ground. And sometimes it's just that way. It's like, it's the only position that's appropriate. Because when you really start to meditate and you think about what God has done for us in through the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, dying for our sin on the cross and all of our junk, it's the only posture that's, that's appropriate when you... And maybe it's safer, you feel better doing it alone, but it's you just... You, you just have to bow down. And that's what they're doing here. There's a renewed reverence. Reverence. Ah, oh, Lord. Grace rains down, that song. Grace rains. Oh, Lord. You just have to lift your hands. You have to, you have to fall down. And so that's what they do. And there's this renewed reverence for God. If you read the revivals that take place in the Old Testament, you'll see it over and over again. So let me just ask you before we move on to the third mark, on a scale of 1 to 10, if you're going to rate it this morning, where would you put your reverence for God? 
what number would you give it? Where would you put yourself? And then mark number three here. Look at verse nine. Then Nehemiah the governor, Ezra the priest and scribe, and the Levites who were instructing the people said to them all, this day is sacred to the Lord your God. Do not mourn, don't lament, don't weep, don't, don't have tears for all the people. This is what's interesting to me. For all the people had been weeping as they listened to the words of the law. And this is what happens when you, you, you get into the word of God and then you, you have a, a picture of God, kind of like Isaiah. You've got a vision of who God really is and his grace and his mercy and his love and his holiness. Then sometimes... You just can't help. You're overcome with emotion. And again, I'm not saying today that the only time you're really remorseful for all your wrongdoing is when you're crying. That's, that's not what this is saying. But, but sometimes when you, you're really sorry for whatever it is you've done. And so I want to ask you now, when was the last time you wept? And it's not just about emotion, but when was the last time you actually found yourself weeping as the Word of God was being read or as you were worshiping God like we were this morning? And it's not just about emotion because worship is really a choice before it's feelings. We have to choose to go there, and we have to choose to do that. One thing I ask of this, Lord, that I will seek for, that I might dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, and that my heart, and my heart says to you, my heart says, seek his face. Your face, O Lord, will I seek. When we seek his face, and not just his hand. Are you like me? I'm really good at going to God when I need something. <laughs> I seek his hand a lot. Lord, please do this. Could I have this? We're good at going with requests, but they're seeking his face here. Worshiping him, and then there's this real remorse for sin. They begin to weep, and he says, don't weep. Worship should be joyful. Chuck Swindoll says, remorse is sorrow over being caught and the pain of consequences that follow when we're sorry. Repentance is not being concerned for ourselves but having a contrite heart. I think that was really the situation here. It wasn't just remorse, but it was actually repentance because they weren't sorry for just being caught. They were deeply remorseful for what they'd done. And so they began to weep. There was a British reporter in London many, many years ago, and uh, he was always writing these columns and he was detailing what was wrong in the world and he published his column and at the end of every column, he would have this little phrase that he would say, what is wrong with this world? And finally, after a number of weeks, G.K. Chesterton, who was one of the inklings, one of the friends of C.S. Lewis, wrote an answer to the guy who was writing this column and here was his answer. Dear sir, I don't remember the guy's name. He said, what's wrong with this world? I am. 
and he owned it. And, and that's what the people do here. They own their wrongdoing. And there's this remorse for sin. And that's the third mark then of spiritual renewal on our lives. We have a, a greater sensitivity to the wrongdoing, to the wrong things we say, to all of the crud in our lives. The psalmist said, when I keep silent, my bones waste away. But when I acknowledge my sin, when I acknowledge my sin, that's when we experience God's grace raining down on us, his mercy, his forgiveness. We experience freedom when we confess it, when we own it. Now, notice the fourth mark, verses 10 through 12. There was a renewed compassion for needy people. This is very interesting to me. Look at verses 10 through 12. It's coming up on the screen now. Nehemiah said, go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks. They're celebrating uh, and send some to those who have nothing prepared. That's the way it's worded in the NIV version. Underline that phrase. It's underlined on the screen. Underline it in your Bible. For those who have nothing prepared... If you've been traveling along the last many weeks, then you know that God has a heart for justice. God's heart is for those who are less fortunate than we are, for the needy, for the poor, for the widows, for the orphans, for those who have nothing. And it's, it's significant to me that on this occasion, in this chapter, as they're experiencing spiritual renewal in their lives, it explicitly says, send some to those who have nothing prepared, those who don't, don't have anything. And that's a fourth mark of spiritual renewal in our lives and our relationship with the Lord when we have greater compassion to those who need something. Our compassion, our, our team is down in Columbia today meeting their compassion children. That's one of the things I love about this church. It's just, it's neat to see what God's doing here with Justine and Storehouse and... and uh, uh, the, the health care, the medical thing that's going on. There's a real heart here for people that need something. May God keep it going. May God keep it going. May God make that a part of your heart. And then the fifth and final mark for spiritual renewal that we see in this, this chapter today is at the end of the chapter, there was a renewed obedience to God. As we prayed at the beginning, you go to Barnes and Noble and you buy a book. And I'm into history and I'm into, you know, you may, your thing may be fiction. I don't know what it is for you. But there's a lot of good information. This book is about transformation. And one of the biggest problems that we have in America today is we measure our spiritual growth and we measure our spiritual vitality, the level of where we are with God, by how much we know, by information. And so we study the Bible and we learn more and we learn more and we learn more. But this, this isn't a book about just learning more. This book is meant to change us, application. And that's the fifth mark of spiritual renewal that we see at the end of this chapter. 
is these people put it into practice. Look at verses 16 and 18 again. So the people went out and they brought back branches and they built themselves booths. This is a feast of the tabernacles in the, in the Old Testament, what the Old Testament people of God were to practice when they were, they were in good, strong relationship with God. So they began to build these booths. They're going to celebrate this feast again. And it's just interesting to me that you get down to the end of this and um, have I lost my place? Let me go back to my notes here. I want to get this right. It said they did this in accordance with the word. Thank you. Whoever is operating the machinery in here, I'm not a techie. They celebrated the feast for seven days. And here's the significant phrase, in accordance with the regulation. There was a solemn assembly. Underline that phrase, in accordance with the regulation. And if you look at Nehemiah 9, uh, pardon me, Nehemiah 9, Nehemiah 10, you go back to the book of Ezra, you look at Ezra 9 and 10, they're putting into practice what they learn. They, they're obeying it. And that becomes then the final mark for, for spiritual renewal in our lives. Now, if I was going to add a postscript, and I'm not going to go for six hours, okay? But if I was going to add a PS on the, end of, on the end of this today, and if I was going to give a sixth mark for spiritual, you know what it would be? Prayer and fasting. Prayer and fasting, which Pastor Adrian talked about last week when he was in the book of Esther. You see prayer and fasting throughout this book. And when you get to Nehemiah 9, you know what you have? The longest prayer in the entire Bible is Nehemiah 9. Nehemiah 9, 14 hundred words in this chapter. Just like Ezra 9 and Daniel 9, this, this is a prayer, a long prayer. And they, they reach out to, they re-engage engage with God in prayer and they commune with God in prayer. That's another mark of spiritual renewal. But that's another sermon for another day. Let me close with this story. Many years ago, there was an evangelist by the name of Gypsy Smith. His real name was Rodney Smith, but he got the nickname Gypsy because he went to over 40 countries preaching. And one day after one of his campaigns or messages, a young man came up to him and they, he said, Mr. Smith, he said, how can you begin a revival? How can you experience spiritual renewal? And this is what Gypsy Smith said. He said, go home. And when you go home, close the door and go to your bedroom and get a piece of chalk and draw a big circle there in the middle of your room with that chalk. And after you've drawn a circle, step into the middle of the circle. And after you're in the middle of the circle, Kneel down. Kneel down in the middle of that circle and ask God to begin a revival. And when the revival begins inside that circle, then the revival has begun. See, it begins with each one of us. It begins on the inside. It's inside out. And it begins with you, and it begins with me.
every one of us. And so I want to encourage you today to go home and do what Gypsy Smith said. Get a piece of chalk, make a circle, and get down in the middle of it and ask God to change you from the inside out, from the inside out. Let's bow together in prayer. Lord, may it be so. And as I pray this this morning, Lord, I'm praying it not just for the people, everyone here in this room, but I'm asking for me too, Lord, because the truth is there is an ebb and a flow to the Christian life. And we go two steps forward and we take a step back. And then we've got to renew, we've got to re-engage. But Lord, this is a great time to do spiritual inventory. End of the summer, two weeks before UNK kicks in, school gets back into session. Three weeks away from fall launch here, Lord, at the church. This is just a great time to hit the pause button. And take a look at our lives where we really are on the inside where nobody sees but you and I ask Lord that you would do whatever you need to do in my life today Lord light a new fire in me light a new fire in each of us bring us back into a deeper relationship with you build the walls rebuild them in our lives Lord Jesus' name we ask. Let's stand together and worship.